Mother's Day, I've learned over my years as a pastor, is a very interesting and in some ways unique holiday. I say that because of the many different emotions that it can stir in different people. Depending upon our life experiences or our family experiences, Mother's Day can stir up a lot of things. A number of years ago, I learned that there was a few ladies in the church that would never come to church on Mother's Day because it was so painful. They were never able to conceive and had the desire to be a mother. There are others who may have had an abortion many years ago that make this a painful day. So there's so much emotion that can be stirred up from sadness, disappointment, to joy, to love and happiness, thankfulness. And for others, there's still guilt and shame. You know, many times pastors turn to Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day. And I admit that I have done it more than once on Mother's Day. Depending on the headings in your Bible, it calls it the worthy woman. A worthy woman. As you read Proverbs 31 about this worthy woman, the bar gets set really, really high. She's up before dawn. She works all day long. The light doesn't go out until late, late at night. She's got the stamina of a trained athlete. She buys and sells land, fields. She's some kind, sort of real estate investor. She takes flax and turns it into linen clothing. She's got a tender heart and compassion towards the poor like Mother Teresa. She's this brilliant intellectual woman. Sets the bar really high. Now obviously I'm not a woman, but if I was one, I'd feel like I could be a little bit of a failure in comparison to that woman. You know, the reality is we're all flawed. None of us are perfect, whether we're men or women. We're just not perfect. We all make mistakes. We all have issues. We have strongholds in our life. We may have things in our past that hold us back from being the kind of people we would really like to be. And it makes it hard when you think of a Proverbs 31 woman, is that what we're all supposed to be like? And the answer is, it'd be nice. It's the ideal. But it's not really reality for most of us. There's complicated pasts that many of us deal with that prevent us from maybe being what we want to be, whether we're men or women. We need to remember we're all works in progress And we all need God's help, no matter what we're doing. The title of my message this morning is a little bit longer title than most of my messages. And there's a play on words within the title that you may not even get, unless you're very familiar with the book of Ruth. The title of the message is, From Bitter Trials to Pleasant Outcomes. And the key words there are bitter and pleasant. The book of Ruth is a story about two women, basically, Naomi and Ruth. And it's really written more from the perspective of Naomi. And one of the things that makes it a little bit unique as you read the book of Ruth, which I encourage all of you to read the book, there's so much in there that I can't possibly cover it the way I would like to in a message. But Ruth the book of Ruth, gives us kind of a unique perspective of God through the eyes of a woman. 
Naomi. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says these words. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Now it seems like a pretty interesting way, at least, maybe weird way, to start out the whole book telling us that judges governed in the land. The reality is, if we dig a little deeper, this tells us a lot about what was going on in Israel at this time. When you read the book of Ruth, you need to look at it from at least two and maybe more perspectives. One, it was written to the nation Israel. And this time period in Israel's history when the judges governed was a really difficult time. As a matter of fact, during that time when the judges governed, there was a cycle that continued to take place in the people of Israel. It was before there was a king. And during this time, what would happen is God's people would go away from worshiping God and they would begin to worship the pagan gods or idols. And they would walk away from a life of morality and enter into all kinds of licentious and immoral behavior. In other words, they would reject and turn away from their God, the God of Israel. And God in His love and mercy would allow neighboring nations to often conquer them, to oppress them. Uh, Sometimes He would bring a famine in the land to discipline them, to bring them back to that place of going back to God. And that's what would happen. After so much oppression, they would turn back to God. They would humble themselves and they would cry out for deliverance. And that's when God would raise up a judge. And this judge would be a temporary governor and he would bring deliverance. And I actually should say he or she would bring bring deliverance. During this time, there was 12 different judges. There's a few of them that you probably would never remember unless you're a real student of the history of Israel. But there's a few names you might remember. The name Gideon was one of the judges. Deborah was one of the judges. And a name most of us would probably be familiar with from Bible stories, even as children, Samson was one of the judges. And during this time, this cycle would continue over and over and over. We would see disobedience, Then we would see the discipline in the form of oppression one way or another. We would see them come to a place of humility and repentance. And God would rescue them with a deliverer. But what would typically happen through this time in the history of Israel, it wouldn't last very long. It usually lasted at its longest the length of the life of the judge. Once the judge would die, the cycle would start over again. And again, and again. This is the time period and what it was like when Naomi was alive. Her and her husband, Elmimelech. And when you look back at this verse that I showed you, verse 1, notice the last part of the verse. As if this wasn't bad enough with all the evil that was taking place, we have a famine in the land. 
the people in the land of Israel were starving. There wasn't enough food to eat. They were under the hand of God, the discipline of God. So Naomi and her family, her husband and her two sons, are living in this situation in the history of Israel. And you could see why this book would be written for the nation Israel to show them how faithful God is in spite of what's going on in the nation of Israel. But then we also get to look at this side of God to see His faithfulness at a very personal level with Naomi and with Ruth. The spiritual condition was bad, to say the least. It was dangerous even at that time in the nation of Israel. And then there's this, famine. So that's where I want to pick up the story. And as I said earlier, I I hope you read the whole story because there's so much that I'm not going to be able to go into as we go through the story. Elimelech, at the time of this famine, decided to take his family to Moab. Moab was a people, the Moabites, that were evil. God had warned His people many times to stay away from these people. They were a people that worshipped pagan gods. They were a people that offered human sacrifices to these pagan gods. And their immorality was astounding. This is the people that they moved, He took His family into when He moved to Moab. And with Moab, when he went to Moab, it was Elmimelech and his wife Naomi and his two sons, as I said. And we were there just a short time, and Elmimelech passed away. So now Naomi is a widow. And it's difficult to be a widow, especially in a foreign land where none of your people are. But she had her two sons. And the story tells us that her two sons married two of the women from Moab. One was named Orpah and the other was named Ruth, who the book is named after. Now remember where they were raised. They were raised in the culture of the Moabites. They were raised in a culture that worshipped pagan gods. They were raised in a culture of gross immorality. And this is where they come from. And these sons of Naomi married women from this culture. And ten years later, we don't know what happened during those ten years, but ten years later we're told both of her sons die. So now her husband is dead, her two sons are dead, and here she is left with only her and her two daughter-in-laws who she feels responsible for. So she decides to go back to Judah, to Bethlehem, the area of Bethlehem. And they decide to go back there because Naomi has gotten word that God has provided food for His people. In other words, the famine had ended. So even though Naomi finds herself in this terrible situation, this difficult situation that she's trying to survive, a a widowed woman in a foreign land, No one to provide for her. No one to care for her. In the midst of her grief of losing both her sons after losing her husband, and now she has the added responsibility of two daughters-in-law, she decides to go back to Bethlehem. And they don't get very far. They just start their travels the way it appears. And Naomi says to the girls, 
you guys need to leave. You need to go back to your families. In other words, she's saying to him, go back to the home of your fathers and your mothers. Because with me, you have no future. I'm going to a land that is not of your land, a people that's not of your people. You have no future. I have no more sons for you to marry. And even if I did have and could have sons, even though I'm beyond that age, even if I did, would you be willing to wait how many years it would take before my sons could marry you? In other words, she was saying, go home to your families because you have no future if you stay with me. The daughters-in-law love Naomi. It says they're hugging and crying. And finally, they're saying they're not going to leave. And finally, Naomi just says, no, you need to go. Leave. And she adds these words. The hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. In other words, from Naomi's perspective, and I think we could probably, most of us relate to situations in our own life like this, where Naomi feels like God is against her. God is disciplining her. God has maybe ignored her, not paying attention to her, doesn't know she exists. Who knows why for sure? We do know there was a lot of bitter things that happened in her life with her husband dying and her two sons dying. Maybe there was some kind of guilt even from the fact that she went with her husband. They moved to the land of the Moabs where they weren't supposed to go. For whatever reason, she said these words that the hand of the Lord is against me. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Naomi because it didn't cause her to doubt that there was a God. She acknowledged the hand of God in providing food for the nation of Israel. So it wasn't like she gave up all her faith. It was more that the bitter trials that she was going through were overwhelming at that time. And she told her two daughter-in-laws to leave. And I want to read in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Orpah finally leaves. But Ruth doesn't. Ruth speaks what are probably the most famous scriptures, the most famous verses in the book of Ruth. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. She says, For where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, that's where I'm going to lodge. Your people shall be my people. And pay special attention to these words. And your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. Whatever her past was in the country of Moab with the Moabites and her culture and her upbringing, she had evidently, somewhere along the way, decided to become a follower of the God of Israel. Your God will be my God. Then she continues, Where you die, I'll die. And there I will be buried. And thus may the Lord do to me and worse. She's referring to what Naomi said the Lord was doing to her. If anything but death parts you and me. When you read these two verses, you see an amazing example of love and loyalty that's being demonstrated by Ruth to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's saying, I'm not leaving no matter what. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. I'm going to be faithful to you. And they left. And even in the midst of, and I think this is something that we can all experience, 
in the midst of the trials that Naomi was going through, in the midst of those things that she felt like the hand of the Lord was against her, in the midst of all of that, and probably because of all of that, she missed an amazing gift that God was giving her right here in Ruth. And it's a gift that as we begin to understand the big picture, the big story in the history of Israel, in the history of God's people, it's a time where it's not just a gift to Naomi. It's the gift to the nation of Israel. And it's a gift to you and me as the story unfolds. But at this time, Naomi didn't know that and wasn't able to see it that way. I want to read in Ruth chapter 1, verses 19, 20, 21. It says, They both went and they came to Bethlehem. And the way they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? Now get this picture before we look at the rest of these scriptures. Get this picture in your mind. They come back. They've been gone at least 10 years and more than 10 years. But they're coming back to a relatively small village, Bethlehem. And even after 10 years, when they come into the village, it says the whole village is stirred because Naomi is back. It would seem to imply to us that Elimelech and Naomi and their family were well known in the area of Bethlehem. And when they came back, it started a lot of small town gossip, if you would, that they're back. They were stirred. They were excited. And Naomi responds in a strange way. She says to them, do not call me Naomi. In the Hebrew, the name Naomi means pleasant. So she's saying to the people that knew her, do not call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. Mara in the Hebrew means bitter. Do not call me pleasant. Call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She's still of the mind that it is God punishing her, disciplining her. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She went out with a husband and she went out with the two sons. And in the culture of Israel on that day, that was a big deal, having sons and a husband. Because if you didn't, there was no one to care for you. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. As you can see, she is in a difficult state. She's in a state where I, I want to just emphasize again, she does not disavow God. She doesn't deny God. She's hurting. And in her pain and all the bitterness that she suffered, she has come to this conclusion that God is against her. The Almighty has His hand against her. All her hope was gone, really. There was no one to take care of her. Her sons were gone. Her husband was gone. But as we look into the story, we're going to see that God was with her the whole time. We're going to see that God was at work behind the scenes the whole time. He was behind working to, to care for her, to bless her, and to give her a future. Again, something that we need to remember when we're going through those difficult times. 
As we sang about our good, good father this morning, he's a good God and he loves his children. We go through difficult times. We still live in this fallen world. We still have an enemy in the world that we're in. And the times can be difficult, very difficult. But we need to remember that God is with us through the storms, through the trials, and through the tests. He was at work. It reminds me of the scripture in Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that, all, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and those that have been called according to his purpose. We have that promise as New Testament saints. Even though we don't see it, and oftentimes we have to get somewhere into the future and look back to see the way God was working through all those challenging, difficult times. They arrive at Bethlehem. And we are informed that in Bethlehem, Naomi had a kinsman named Boaz. Two things I want to mention. One just very quick in passing. Boaz was the son of a woman named Rahab. And you may remember the story of Rahab in the story of the walls falling down in Jericho. And Rahab is thought to have been a harlot. And here Boaz is her son. One of only four women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She's reminded she has a kinsman. That word kinsman isn't necessarily one we would use today, but it means a near relative. And it's a very significant word, especially in the culture of Israel at that time. If you had a kinsman, a near relative, The near relative would be called a kinsman redeemer. There's a word in the Hebrew that I want us to look at. And it's called ga'al. It's a kinsman and it's a redeemer. And here's what that word means. And it's very significant, even in the law of Israel, going back into Leviticus, to redeem, according to the Jewish law of kinship, to be the next of kin, And as such, you are to buy back a relative's property and marry his widow to keep the lineage of the family name going on. Very significant part of this story. When she says, we have a kinsman or a near relative, if you would read the few verses where it keeps mentioning a close relative, a near relative, think kinsman redeemer. And for us, there's a significant picture here. Jesus Christ, is our kinsman redeemer. We need to remember that Jesus came from heaven to earth and joined the human family. And he redeemed us in our great need, the sin and the consequences of sin. By going to the cross, he paid a price. He bought us back by the blood that he shed on that cross. And by doing so, He took us back under His care and under His provision. And we become His eternal bride as Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. In this story, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. God had been preparing Boaz for the redemption that He was going to be involved with for Naomi and Ruth. But Boaz didn't know it. 
Naomi didn't know it. Ruth didn't know it. But God was at work preparing to have their futures change forever. So they get back to Bethlehem. And Ruth asked Naomi, Naomi, can I go out into the fields and glean grain so we have some grain to eat? In that time in Israel, when the crops were being harvested, the barley and wheat, the poor could go out and glean. Or in other words, once they would cut the crop and put it in the shocks, they could go out in what had been cut and and no longer shocks there, and they could glean or they could pick up the grain that was there for their own food. And Naomi says, sure, go. And as we read the story, a very interesting thing happens. And as a matter of fact, in the Scripture it says, and she just happens, Ruth just happens to go to the field of Boaz. So she's out in the field. She asks permission of the manager of the servants. She goes out in the field and she's picking up grain. She's gleaning the field. And Boaz comes out of the city of Bethlehem. And he comes walking up to his servant manager and says, Who's that lady over there? Who's that woman? Who is that maid? I don't recognize her. And his servant manager says, that is the Moabite woman who returned from Moab with Naomi, the one that the whole city had been talking about. And I believe from the story, he understood and knew that he was a kinsman. His reaction to Naomi would seem to indicate that. He goes and speaks to Naomi, or to, to Ruth, excuse me, to Ruth. And he tells her, stay in my field. Glean in this field. When you get thirsty, go ahead and go get some water from the vessels my servants have brought forth. If you stay in this field, you'll be protected. And then he actually went and talked to some of his other servants and he says, leave a little bit of grain behind for her. Don't touch her. Protect her. Watch over her. And Ruth's response was one where she, again, falls to the ground in front of him and says, why have I found favor in your sight? And Boaz replies to her and says, I've heard about you. I've heard what kind of woman you are. I've heard how you've stayed with Naomi when you could have left how you left your people, you left your mother, you left your father, and you have came and you are serving Naomi and you're serving her God. Her reputation had preceded her. He knew who she was. That night, after all of this harvesting and gleaning in the fields, she went back to Naomi and boy, does she have a story to tell. And Naomi wants to hear what took place. And she tells the story to Naomi And Naomi gets to the point where she finally says, well, whose field was it in? It was a man named Boaz. And it's almost like the the bells went off, the lights came on, and all of a sudden, Naomi sees the hand of God at work in her life. He realizes, she realizes this Boaz and knows Boaz is a kinsman of theirs. She explains to Ruth the situation. And then she gives some instructions Ruth is what she's supposed to do. And for us, it seems kind of weird. But if you were of that culture, you would understand. She told her tonight, wait until he goes and lays down. 
And in their culture, they would sleep out by the barley or the wheat, the grain, to protect it from thieves who would try to come during the night. But wait until he goes to sleep. Wait until after supper. Wait until after he's drank some wine. Until his heart is merry and he's gone to sleep. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to wash yourself. I want you to put on perfume. I want you to put on your best clothes. And then I want you to go to him where he lays. And I want you to uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. Pretty strange to us. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz all would have known what was going on. When Boaz wakes up at about midnight, it says, he's first startled and says, who, is, who are you? And then Ruth makes some very clear statements. She, just, she says, I am Ruth. You are my kinsman redeemer. Cover me with your cloak. And the imagery there is, you know who I am. You are our kinsman redeemer. Cover me with your cloak. Redeem us. And the act of laying at his feet was one of submission and humility. And he speaks these words in Romans 3.11. Excuse me, not Romans, Ruth 3.11. She says, Now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Her reputation once again precedes her. But then he says this. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's a kinsman or a relative who is closer to you than I am. He needs to be given first opportunity to redeem the land, Elimelech's fields. And if he doesn't do it, then I'll do it. And he goes and approaches this in a way that would have to settle the law of the people. He goes to the city gate where there's elders gather and all kinds of important decisions are taking place. And he goes to the city gate and he's sitting at the city gate and here comes the other relative and he says, friend, come and sit down with us. And he's so wise in the way he does this. He says, Naomi's back and you know that. And you are the closest kinsman that she has. It's your responsibility to redeem her land, redeem her fields. And if you don't do it, I will. And the guy says, immediately, I will redeem the land. But then Boaz says, by the way, there is also Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law. You need to redeem her by marrying her so that the name, the family name, will continue on. And it doesn't explain the real problem But the guy's response is immediate. Then I can't do it. Because if I do that, I will put my own inheritance at risk. So I cannot redeem the land nor marry Ruth. So immediately at the gate, in front of all witnesses of the city and of the city elders sitting at the gate, he says this legal transaction has taken place. Everything is being done here with full integrity in accordance to the law of Israel. He has rejected it, and I will redeem Naomi, Ruth, and the land. I will be the redeemer. When you look at this, you can see how 
God has taken the bitterness of all these trials and turned it back into a pleasantness for Naomi and for Ruth. The faithfulness of God. We all fail. We all have trials and tests. And it's so easy. It's so easy to lose our focus and forget about how faithful God is to all of us. The story of Ruth was written to the Jewish people, the Israel people, the people of Israel, because God had demonstrated his faithfulness over and over and over and over as they went through this cycle of sin and disobedience and discipline and repentance and and judges redeeming them. And he's showing us in a personal way that God isn't just focused on a nation. He is focused on every single one of us as his children. He is faithful to you and me just as he was faithful to Naomi and to Ruth. Boaz marries Ruth and they have a son. Who would have thought at the beginning of this story, in the midst of all of the the horrific things that she was going through, having fled from Bethlehem to Moab, her husband dying, both her sons marrying Moabites and and then they die, all of the things that they had went through, God was preparing a future in the background the whole time. He was looking out for her the whole time. And he does that for each one of us who trust in him. If it ended there, it'd still be a great story. But that's not where it ends. The Bible tells us that Boaz had a son. He and Ruth. And the son's name was Obed. And when you look at the name Obed, you read and you can go to the Gospel of Matthew if you would like and read the full genealogy. But it tells us Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David who became King David. And generations later, from the lineage of Ruth and Boaz, our Savior Jesus Christ was born. The story is an amazing story. Amazing story of the faithfulness of God. Amazing story of redemption. An amazing story of God working in our lives even in the most difficult, difficult of times. As I said earlier, Naomi probably didn't recognize Ruth as the gift that she was. But I mentioned it was a gift that went way beyond Naomi. It went to the people of Israel when they had a king named David. And generations later, the gift is revealed to all of us and our own kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we are so thankful that we have a God so faithful. That we have a God who loves us, who has plans for us. And God, even when we don't see it, you never have abandoned us. You're always there with us. You're working with us. You're working around us. You're, you're working behind the scenes. Father, I thank you that you give grace as we walk through those trials and tests and circumstances of life. 
I thank You, God, that You have given us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct us during those difficult times and all times. I pray, God, for the the story of redemption we see in the book of Ruth. How You took imperfect women, Naomi, and a Moabite named Ruth, And you bless them to be a part of the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a future you had for them. And God, that we can rest and be confident in the truth and the fact that you have a future for each one of us. So I pray, Lord, for any of those who are listening to this that are going through a difficult time, they're going through those trials and tests even now, God, and even in the midst of those bitter situations that they can have a peace that passes all understanding, that there can be a joy in knowing that you are the Heavenly Father who loves and cares for us, and that they can come out of this, whatever situation it is, with greater faith and greater confidence than when they went in. Lord, I pray also this morning, that you would minister to those families that I mentioned earlier who had lost loved ones this week. That you would bless them and comfort them through this difficult time. Father, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.